You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. This is Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. Welcome into Trailblazers on SENZ for another week. And my guest today is Joe Caird. Now, you may not know the name instantly, but I guarantee you will know her work. Joe has been one of our leading sports photographers for the past couple of decades. She was the All Blacks official photographer, including over four Rugby World Cups, 12 tours, many years on the road. So you will certainly know Joe's stuff. Joe, welcome into Trailblazers. How are you? I'm good. I'm feeling older now. You've said how many decades I've been working. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't. I didn't want to say specifically because you suddenly. I, I did that calculation for myself recently, and suddenly went, "Oh, I've been around a wee while." <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Great to be here, Ricky. So let's get straight into it. Why photography? Um. Okay. So I probably I started off as a failed tennis player. I guess is the best way to describe it. Um, I was a junior New Zealand player and went and played on the world junior circuit um, and was uh, soon realised that it was a, a pretty tough week-to-week um, existence. Um, so I took up a tennis scholarship in the States and um, discovered sports photography over there. It was something you could actually study. Um, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, but realised I didn't want to be good at basketball, baseball, gridiron photography. Um, I really loved rugby um, and had been a massive, passionate rugby fan, you know, all my life growing up. Mm. Um, so I thought, hey, this is this is what I want to be doing. I want to be doing sports photography, but I want to be doing it with Kiwi Sports and back in New Zealand. Cool. I mean, let's go to the go firstly to the tennis part because um, mm. you said scholarship to the states and a fail player, but you're playing on the junior world circuit. That's, I mean, that's big time. But what sort of how tough was that for for a young athlete? You're away from home, all of that sort of stuff. Yep, it was really tough. And you know, thinking back now, I realise quite, quite how hard it was. Um, mm. You know, even in New Zealand those days, we didn't actually even have clay uh, courts to practice on. So when I was 17, I left here and went and based myself at a club in Cologne in Germany. Um, learned to play on clay, and sort of next minute, I'm playing qualies for the French Open. I'm playing the German juniors, the, um, you know, Swiss juniors, sort of Austrian juniors going around all these different tournaments. Um, And at the time, there was a New Zealand junior boys team um, who was on the road, but we had no girls team. Um, And I remember actually one tournament I'd got through to the third round and then the the organisers approached me and said, oh, actually, um, you have to pay an entry fee of 100 euros or or whatever it was. And I sort of said, what do you mean? And they said, oh, there's only four free entries per country and they were all used up by the boys. Um, and the New Zealand coach at the time came over and, and he, the, the, the issue was that only one boy was still in the draw. 
and the others had all lost first round. And um, he promptly paid it out of his own pocket um, and didn't get reimbursed by New Zealand Tennis, who were adamant, no, we're not putting any money into into the girls at the moment. So that was a real sort of reality check. And, um, you know, it's so good to see things changing, but you can imagine after 30 years of being in the New Zealand sports industry, no change can come fast enough. Um, Yeah. That was a real introduction to it from a young age. Yeah, because I mean, because we, you know, I'm a massive tennis fan as well, and, and we lament, don't we, every year? Well, when we used to get the yep. ASB Classic, um, yep. you know, and we watch these one wars, but we lament that we've got no top. Um, or we, we've had no. That's not fair because we've got some great men's doubles players. Obviously, Marina Rakovic did great things for so many years, but it's just a check into the reality of how difficult it is from New Zealand to make it in a sport like tennis, right? Yep, I think it's it's incredibly hard. Um, and at the time, I was really fortunate because I had Belinda Cordwell, who was a few years ahead of me, and she was doing, you know, epic things. She got to the semi of the ASB here and and, and did really well in the Australian Open as well. But, um, yeah, there's just, you've got to see it to be it, and, um, mm. you know, that resonates really with tennis. It's so, so tough to make it as a tennis player. You can be, mm. and it's hard here in New Zealand because you can very easily be a big fish in a small pond and you go overseas and you realise, wow, I'm just one of millions. Um, and the reality on the tennis circuit, regardless of how good you are, unless you're, you know, a, um, a Federer or a Nadal, you're going to lose every single week, which is really hard mentally to cope with, especially when you are 17, 18 years old and on your own. <laughs> um, yeah. And the reality as well was, when you were in these tournaments, you were picked up from, say, a train station in Switzerland um, in the Mercedes or whatever the corporate car of the event was. You were put in a five-star hotel and you were treated amazingly until the second you lost. Um, and then you right. got your gear and you went down to the local backpackers and you travelled to the next venue until you, you know, the, the tournament started and suddenly you were in a five-star hotel again. Um So, yeah, I look back at it and go, wow, that was a lot to cope with as a 17-year-old. That was tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I guess, like, your family, uh, I mean, did they they send you off with well wishes, I guess, (laughs) as you sort of chased this dream around the world? Well, I I seem to be pretty confident in hindsight. My my poor parents, I was sort of, here, what are you doing? You know, do you speak any German? You're going off to Germany. Um, But... Yeah, I was very confident. It was something I wanted to do. Um, I had no qualms about doing it. And literally there was no, you know, there was no cell phones. There was no emails. Um, trying to let mum and dad know what country I was in. You know, I feel for them now as a parent. I think <laughs> <laughs> the poor things. <laughs> but no, it was all good. And I survived. And, um, you know, it made uh, it made everything a bit easier after that. <laughs> did you, is there anyone that you played against that went on and, and did, did, did big things? Well, Martina, Martina Hingis was the big name when oh. we were at the, the tournaments, and it was quite the she okay. Yeah, she did pretty good. Um, so I was, I think it was like the German juniors, and we were all 17-year-olds, and there's this, I think she was 12 or 13, and she was amazing. Um, wow. And that made us all look sideways and sort of think, what are we doing, you know? Um, so, yeah, for me, it was a real reality check, and it was just a reminder of, I mean, I could have really struggled and worked my butt off and maybe dredged up a living out of it, you know, if I'd been really lucky. But I, that wasn't what I was after. And um, yeah. I was really fortunate that I had the university opportunity to to go and have a rethink about, you know, what sort of qualification, et cetera, I wanted to do. I had my plan B, which was really good. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, I was very fortunate. I saw the sports photography and was like, wow, this is – I didn't realise you could make a 
a living out of it. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, so it was it was a great opportunity. Going to the photography, it's a it's a really obviously creative pursuit. Were you always a, a kind of a creative, or was it the sport that you loved and and sort of learnt the creative side of, of photography as you went? Um, ten years ago, I would have said it was definitely um, the sport that you know was what attracted me to it and and a means to be able to make a living around sport. Um, but in hindsight, no, there's actually a fair bit of um, creativity required. And yeah. it's not just a matter of pointing and, and shooting the camera. Um, I had always loved photography, um, but it was so much harder in those days because you were shooting on film, et cetera. So it was much harder to um, work out if you were any good, <laughs> um, for yeah. starters. Whereas um, people come to me now and they say, you know, my kid wants to get into photography, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a matter of saying, well, use your phone and go and take a lot of photos, you know, work out what you like doing, et cetera, et cetera. But you didn't have that chance back in those days um, because obviously every time you took a, a, a photo, it cost you money. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, no, it was definitely a sport. I absolutely love sport. Um, still do. Still, my whole family's really involved in sport. So, it's great. So you always um, were going to want to do the sports photography, not be a, like a news photography, a, you know, document f- photographer or anything like that? No, I started a fraction with um, the Sunday Star Times. I did a short stint once, but the second I was asked to go and, and um, do a knock on, on a celebrity, um, there was just no way I could take anyone's photo mm. without asking their permission. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? I, my job has always been... Um, yes, at sporting events, you capture the moment, um, which is neat. But the rest of the time, I make athletes look good. And I work with them to make them look good, the sport look good, the team look good. Um, and I love it. That's that's really awesome. Um, it's mm-hmm. tough with rugby because it, rugby fields are not necessarily the most glamorous spot, et cetera. And for a while, there, I loved being able to do golf as well, for example, because, you know, the greens are beautiful and the light was always beautiful and the backgrounds were beautiful, which is not the case with rugby. Um, as you would know. <laughs> but yeah. um, um, So it wasn't that chance to be creative, whereas with commercial sports work, there's a lot more chance to be creative with the athlete, et cetera. Um, but um, the, so no, the appeal was very much doing, the sports events at the time were amazing. I mean, I just loved being, you know what it's like at the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games and mm. all black test matches. It's a real buzz. It's a real high. Um, and I really loved being part of that. It was awesome. Is it or was it a hard industry to break through in? Yes, absolutely. Um, And again, looking back at it, I didn't realise how tough it was being a female just because I just wanted to do my job. Um, (laughs) And then you look back and you you think of all the little comments and the niggles and the fact, oh, the boys only smile at you because you've got breasts was literally a comment from a photographer. Um, they only want to work with you. Um, and now I look back and, and go, you know, they were just they were just struggling with it. And it's um, it was a real boys club, the photography. And um, it was so it was so macho as you, you you've probably seen it yourself, Ricky, what it's like. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was tough. But the athletes themselves were always awesome. Um, and I think that it helped because I came very much from my tennis straight across to the photography. Um, and there was that sort of respect as an athlete that came across with it, which was really quite nice to start with. Um, but the only good thing about being female is that, um, well, I guess, one, I stood out from the male photographers. But two, the, um, no one took me seriously. The male photographers didn't take me seriously. And um, it was quite nice. They thought I was just there on a bit of a, a whim and I uh, wouldn't last. So it was quite nice to be able to sort of just get on behind the scenes, do the 
hard yards with the clients, et cetera, et cetera, um, and really establish a place for myself. It was great. Hold that thought. We'll take a quick break here on SCNZ um, and come back with a little bit more. You're listening to Trailblazers. My guest today is leading sports photographer, Joe Caird. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. My guest today on Trailblazers is leading sports photographer Joe Kidd. You became the official All Blacks photographer. You did your first tour in 1997. How did that even come about? Because I think it was you were the first official, effectively, in-house photographer for the team. Yeah, it was actually um, after that tour in 97, uh, they were signed, about to sign with Adidas. Um, and I knew it was it was all happening. Um, it was a really interesting time because remember there was that breakaway group that wanted to um, sign with, a, with the um, I can't think what it was called, but the breakaway rugby group yeah. and um, professionalism was all about to happen. And I approached the NZRU as they were at the time. In fact, they were the NZRFU, so that shows how long I've been around. Um, <laughs> every five years, they seem to drop a, 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 a drop a letter. A, a drop a letter. Um, so I approached them at the time and said, look, you're about to go professional. You have um, all this money. I think Adidas, you know, we're going to pay you $100 million, et cetera, or whatever it was. Um, and yet you're going to not provide them with anything. This is a really easy way to provide them with imagery to use across, you know, all their platforms, et cetera, et cetera. And this is something we can easily do for all their sponsors. Um, unfortunately, they said, no, we don't want to do that. Yes, we need a we need an official photographer. We'd love to work with you. Um but we think you should still go and charge Adidas yourself, <laughs> which, I, which worked out brilliantly for me. And I ended up contracted to Adidas for, well, Adidas Global for about 15 years after that. Um, but yeah, that was something that um, New Zealand Rugby finally realised that they needed their own source of imagery. They needed to, um, obviously, this is pre-Facebook, Instagram um, websites, in fact. So um, as soon as all that started to happen, they had imagery they could use. So, yeah, mm. it is going back a while, I must admit. Yeah, and, that, and, and that, it's a role that still continues on and there's, gosh, they, the digital team there, they have a, have a lot going on. Um, <laughs> so from there on, and I mean, life on the road is not always easy and, and you know, I guess you're a young woman with a whole lot of blokes all the time and you just said before <laughs> about what an eye-opener it was. But how did you, I guess, those big long tours and life on the road, how did you find those? It was really tough. Um, I think one year I was away, I mean, I had a fantastic career I mean I absolutely loved what I what I was doing um but throw in um I think it was something like Olympics um com games two years earlier um I think it was the com games year I was away about seven months out of New Zealand um even doing trips for golden oldies rugby they would fly me to South Africa and would shoot some super rugby and do golden oldies rugby or cricket for a few Mm -hmm. weeks and fly to Hong Kong for the Hong Kong sevens um you know, and um, I think I flew that year up to Barcelona and, and shot the Women's Rugby World Cup and then came back to do um, Kuala Lumpur. So, yeah, there's there was so much on. It was, I mean, I absolutely loved it, but it was awful for my health, as you would know, being yeah. on the road, living at a hotel. Um, it's not good for anyone. Um, and it did take a toll on, on lots of elements in my, in my life. So it was really cool. I met my now wife, um, Paula George, or Georgie, as she's known Georgie. to everyone. Georgie. Everyone knows her as Georgie, right? They, they do. Um, and I met, she was the captain of the England women's rugby team. Um, I met her in, in 2002. And uh, so took a break from um, 
from photographing here in New Zealand, moved to, to London to be with her for a couple of years, um, but still ended up actually working just as much over there with, um, especially with Adidas. They had Joan Olomu, who was spending a lot of time in Europe, and we would join him and do great trips to, to things like the French Open tennis with him and, and sort of got to live the life a bit, which was fantastic. But um, when the Lions toured New Zealand in 2005, they asked if I'd, um, you know, come back to New Zealand and um, cover the Lions tour for Adidas because um, they obviously had both teams sponsored. Um, and then from there, take over, um, start working with the All Blacks again. So it worked out absolutely brilliantly. Um, and Georgie was ready to retire after four World Cups. She's the one you should really be speaking to, Ricky. She's the, <laughs> the only legend in this house. Don't worry, she's on the list as well. There's the, there's, everyone's on this list. We'll keep going. Um, when you're going into an environment like that, how do you, I guess, is it is it about integrating into the squad and, and earning the trust of, of the players and the management, but also having to still be that one step removed as well? Yeah, it is a really tricky one, um, but also pretty cool because the players... Um, you're not part of the, say with your Blacks, the, for me, I wasn't part of the official management team. So players would come and chat to me, um, knowing mm. that they could say things to me and I wasn't going to turn and repeat it. And the same with, with the management, they would talk to me um, as well and offload about certain issues, knowing that I wasn't really part of the media anymore because I was kind of contracted to New Zealand Rugby. So they would talk to me as well. So you had all these and it was complete trust issues. You know, it was completely trust-based. It was fantastic. And I, I had no desire to put, you know, throw anyone under a bus ever. And um, there were so many opportunities you could. And, um, no, it's not something I was into. Um, and I like these people as human beings. And, um, you know, and I got a lot out of it as well from being um, sort of uh, a fly in, on the wall in so many amazing situations and, you know, All Blacks changing rooms for years and um, et cetera, et cetera. That was, it was a pretty um, amazing opportunity and not something I was going to, to stuff up by selling one picture. Um, and that's all it would take is selling one picture to a newspaper um, and you'd never work again. You know, you'd never have those opportunities again. So, no, I was quite happy um, not to have to worry about that side of it. You so you would have been with with Jonah when it, I mean he was at the height of his fame and and I still still don't think even though there's you know a lot of very famous rugby players now nobody sort of transcended the game like he did yet he was this young guy thrown into the spotlight how what was it like being in and around him at that time and and in the circus that almost followed him Yeah, he was he was absolutely unique there's been no one like him since Sonny Bill might have touched on a, you know a mm. fraction um but you know Dan Carter didn't Richie McCaw didn't and I remember um the All Blacks were in Dublin and they were doing a signing session and Adidas were not allowed to have Jonah Lomu in the same town at the same time because they knew he would be such a distraction and so he did it we went north and did a, a great session with Jonah Lomu um he turned up in an originals party and um he was just this huge draw card wherever he went all around the world but at the same time, like he was just the most amazing guy. And the stories I could tell about him, we were at the Adidas store on the Chandelier in, in Paris and they actually shut the store so we could do some um, photography with him and some imagery. And his wife at the time was allowed to go, you know, here's a bag, go shopping. And Jonah just sort of said, stop everybody. He said, what about Joe's wife, Georgie? 
grab her a bag, you know, and it was like, oh, bless, you know, and oh. he was always like that. He was the one, you know, when the um, All Black Gear guys driving overnight from Christchurch to Auckland, he would jump in the van and drive with them um, to keep wow. them company, you know, and the All Black management are going nuts, like, you can't do that, don't do that, and he's like, no, no, I'm going to do it, I don't want him driving all night, it's not safe. Um, but it was cool with the opportunities with him. We spent a lot of time. He took us on, um, spent a couple of days around Auckland with him once, and he took us to where he grew up in, in Manukau, took us to the, the bridge where he used to walk every um, every day back and forth under the Manukau Bridge um, and how unsafe it was. Um, and, uh, he yeah, he was awesome. He used to really open up. And he loved sharing it all. Um, he was very proud of where he had come from and um, what he had achieved and, yeah, awesome guy, just so down to earth. I mean, when we were in, in France on a tour um, many years later, this is 2010, and he sort of saw me at training one day and sort of said, oh, heck, you know, like, you must be so bored. <laughs> You've been to Marseille, like, you know, a dozen times now. He said, I'll pick you up at 1 o'clock and, and take you and Georgie out for lunch and took us to an amazing village in the middle of nowhere for lunch. You know, and he didn't, doesn't have to do that, but he was just epic. He was amazing. Oh. Amazing. What was he, or did you have a, or do you have a favourite player that you have photographed? Oh, yeah, probably him, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, he was just um, on and off the field. He just delivered all the time. But you do, you you have special connections with different players, um, especially because, like I said, that arrangement where um, the players felt they could come and talk to you, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, um, you know, I remember Aaron Cruden when he was first in the team and Sort of walked into him in the hallway one day and said, "Yo, hey, how's it going?" Just a passing comment, and half an hour later, I'm still hearing <laughs> how he's going because he, he just wanted to talk to someone who, you know, who wasn't scary. I think because he was so in awe of all these All Blacks he was surrounded by, and he was so in awe of, you know, um, <clears throat> the coach at the time. And he was just like, "Oh God, here's someone I can actually just sit on the floor in the hallway with and have a chat." So it was that kind of stuff that was was really special. What um, when you as you say you be, when you'd been to Marseille six times or you photographed the hucker a hundred times or you know the, you've watched the Bledisloe lift that many times? What do you look for? What what were you always looking to try and make it different or unique? I'm sure there was you know you had to get certain images for sure, but to to make and, and looking for something really special each time. Yeah, well, in the good old days, um, which now I realise they really really were. It was, um, I mean, it was a fantastic industry. There was sort of, at an average test match, there'd be 25, 30 photographers um, and all really good sports photographers and we'd all be literally fighting to get the front page of the Herald or Sunday Star Times, it usually was in those days, or Sunday News. Um, and the competition was literally you trying to get the winning shot, um, literally by not only being in the right place, but getting the shot, which was hard because you were shooting on transparency or negative, getting to a lab and getting it developed and then getting it digitalised and getting it to the newspaper. So it was, you know, and and then whoever got the best shot got the front page next day. So it was so different from when it turned digital. You can imagine it, it was just an absolute game changer um, mm. and seeing all these photographers just sitting there spraying at a million frames a second, you know. Oh my goodness! Um, it's, it was so different, but I loved it. It was um, a real challenge every game. To um, you had to really know rugby. You had to know what was going. You know, have a sense of what was going to happen next because you had to physically run up and down the sideline and get yourself in the right spot, um, have the right lens on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and that all changed as things went digital. 
um, and the requirements expectation from clients changed as well. So one minute you're at the top of the stadium doing a wide angle so you get the fireworks, um, you know, and you're shooting the Haka from the top of the stadium, which, you know, you know the Wellington Stadium had a good view down to yeah. shoot a Haka from the opposition side. Um, the next time you might try, you know, Tana Umanga's leading it, you know, he does great facials, so you, you put an extra long lens on, shoot it side on to get him. So, yeah, it was always having to think about it. And, but that's what I loved about it because I, I really cared and the best photographers really cared about what they were doing and put in the extra effort. Mm. Did you have a, or do you have a, a sort of a favourite moment or a favourite image or, or an occasion that you were part of that you were like, that you sort of were able to soak in as well? There's probably lots of, um, there's lots of on-field moments. There's actually the off-field moments that really that sort of stick with me. Things like um, the very first Hong Kong Sevens, what was turned into a Rugby World Cup um, and of Sevens. And New Zealand lost in the final to Fiji, which was obviously devastating as a Kiwi over at the time. But um, the Fijian men were amazing and I'd done a lot of work with them. Um, and they invited me into the changing room with them after the game. And um, first they prayed and then they sung. And hearing them singing, um, it was just so moving. It was, um, it resonated all through the underground of the stadium and it sounded incredible. Mm. And Amazing. the same sort of thing happened a few years later, actually, I was with the All Blacks, um, the, I think it was Twickenham, and Dame Kerry Takanawa came into the change room and sung Pokeri Kariana. And um, again, it was the, the moments off the field that were just as special as the ones that I captured on the field. Yeah, absolutely. My guest today on Trailblazers is leading sports photographer Joe Kidd. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with more shortly on SCNZ. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. Welcome back into Trailblazers on SENZ. I'm Ricky Swanell. I've been chatting uh, about the life and career of Joe Kidd, one of our leading sports photographers. He's been many years on the road uh, with the All Blacks, uh, photographing rugby all around the world, along with other sports too. But, Joe, I mean, we all kind of fancy ourselves a wee bit as photographers. So <laughs> what makes a good photo? Um, well, I guess it's up to the eye of the beholder. Um, but as far as sports photography goes, it's probably about emotion, I think, as much as anything. Um, because, you know, a photo of someone just dotting down a try is not exciting unless it's a celebration after the try. Or it's the anticipation of what is about to happen in the photograph. Um, we shot a lot of rugby league over the years and it's, the impact wasn't the greatest photo, but right before the impact, that made the better photo. So, yeah, it's probably the anticipation of, of what's going to happen. Although nothing beats, yeah. you know, America's Cup boat sinking or something. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's the moment. That <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned before you, you often get people saying, you know, your parents asking how the kids can get into it and you say pick up your iPhone. I would have thought photographers would have hate people picking up their iPhone and thinking <laughs> that they can make it amazing. Well, no, I mean, um, everyone's got to learn, start somewhere. I remember having this conversation with the true legend, which is Peter Bush, um, mm -hmm. And he didn't want to go digital. He thought this was just the crime of the century. Um, and we convinced him to buy a digital camera and he gave it a go. And he came back to me a few weeks later and just went, wow, this is amazing. He said, I have learned so much. And I think at the time he was in his 70s, you know, and he said, I've learned more in the last six months than I've learned in the last 20 years. 
because you can try and you can fail and you can try again, you know? And that's all about, I think, is learning, is, is just trying something, failing at it, trying it again. Um, and photography is no different. So yeah, that's why I encourage people yeah, I, to just take photos. Yeah. I mean, you must, the, the, I mean, for someone like Peter Bush, that um, that ability to adapt to the, to the way the industry has changed, um, that must have been huge for, uh, for gener- generations of photographers. Yeah, when I first started, um, I remember my first All Black tour, I used to hand develop film in my bathroom. So we'd literally turn the bathroom into an, uh, a dark room and um, yeah. you'd develop, you carry all your chemicals all the way over there and, and then you'd be um, hand developing them, then drying them with a hairdryer, you know, scanning an image. And it would take 18 minutes to, on average, 18, 20 minutes to send an image back home, one photograph back. <laughs> and, you know, and it would drop out three or four times uh, along that way. So it's changed so much uh, in the last, you know, couple of, well, decades, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's pretty cool where it's at. Although we caught up recently with the New Zealand, um, the digital content team who work with the All Blacks now um, and they um, they sort of talked about the different issues they have whereas they have to get approval for everything that they do you know it has to be signed off by the Players Association and the NZAU and particular sponsors involved etc cetera, etc cetera, which I just couldn't believe you know we used to just create create content and publish it you know, it didn't mm. have to be approved by anyone so they have different issues and barriers and problems than we used to have um, and I'm quite happy to, to have had it the way we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of the photographers now, particularly the ones who, who are, you know, shooting sport a lot, are, uh, some of them, well, a lot of them are expected to do, to do video as well. Did you have to start to do that sort of stuff too or did you kind of skip that phase a wee bit? Um, I, I did a, I passed that sideways to Georgie um, 100% <laughs> and um, that's how she got involved and we started working together because um, – before video became a thing, um, ADS approached us and we're like, we really love some video content. And I was just like, oh my goodness, you know, here I am as a photographer. Um, I was mortified. Um, and Georgie was super keen. She is very IT savvy, um, had always loved doing video. Um, and so um, they were really happy to um, invest in her and spend money on on courses and, and gear and equipment and bring her up to speed. So um, that's how it worked out so well for the All Blacks because we'd been working together for Adidas and um, the All Blacks um, knew Georgie and, and got wind of, of what she was doing for um, Adidas and um, we're really keen to have her on board. So she went on board as the full behind-the-scenes content creator um, doing all their content for Facebook and Instagram and um, cool. their website, which we created. Um, so she looked after the backer house, um, did a lot of behind-the-scenes um, content for the team that never ever gets seen by the public um, <laughs> and um, I did the sort of the front of the house looked after all the sponsors like Adidas and Ford and Starlugger in those days and Telecom so um, it was a really cool combination working with Georgie and I um, and she looked after video and still does and I look after yeah. photography so it, it, you're a really unique kind of pairing a really unique kind of business and in, in the industry I, I guess I didn't think of anyone else really doing the double team the double act and the corporate side with anybody else is there no I mean the industry changed so much when Getty came in um and uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know Getty and um sports photography and agencies etc I mean Getty are basically your Starbucks who have mm. who've come into New Zealand and, and um, really made it tough on all the local coffee shops. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, and, you know, they, they now pay to be an official photographer 
of sports um, so that they are the only ones that can sell to the sponsors um, and partners, et cetera. So they really changed the scene of sports photography massively. Um, at your average test match now, there's you know less than half a dozen photographers there. Um, and also there's not the, there's not the um, physical newspapers anymore. There's not the magazines and newspapers, et cetera. Mm. So there's a lot fewer photographers out there. Um, mm. running up and down the sidelines. So it was re it's really sad from that point of view for me to see, um, but I mm. feel really fortunate of the period that I was involved with it all. Um, and now, I, now I'm now i lucky that I get to do commercial work um, and um, work with people. We just worked with uh, Dame Lisa Carrington for Under Armour, um, which was really awesome to do a campaign with her. Um, we've just worked with Altrad and Ineos um, with the All Blacks and, and Black Ferns and... Um, yeah, it's it's a nice space to be in at the moment. Yeah, uh, you you mentioned earlier, sort of when you started out, nobody took you seriously. You you were the only woman. Uh, like most elements of sports media, there are still yeah. very few women, and 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 photography is no different. I, I think of Hannah Peters at Getty straight off the top of my head. But other than that, women regularly shooting sport, there's there's very few. And I'm sure you get asked this time. But is there is there a reason? Is there a way or a why or, or that there are so few women who shoot who are well sports photographers um i don't think so i think it's it's tough um mm. you have to be you have to actually be physically fit and um you know get around the place really well um you have to know sport really well um but no i don't think there's any any reason why there's not more female photographers at all there's you know a few around the world now um but it's just always been a real male heavy industry um and uh i think i was quite fortunate for a lot of my career to have a name that people didn't realize was female um yeah. and when they employed joe the sport rugby photographer in particular they expected a male to turn up and the amount of times i would turn up and they go ah oh. um but it was too late for them by then and um you know afterwards they were like oh wow we didn't realize you were female um so that probably worked really well for me back in the old days <laughs> I think it probably worked a little bit for me as well. Oh, Ricky, there you go. True. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. That's very funny. Yeah. Um, we'll take one more quick break here on SENZ and we'll come back with more with sports photographer Joe Kidd shortly. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. You're listening to Trailblazers with Ricky Swanell. Thanks for being with us on Trailblazers here on SENZ. We're having a great chat about the the life and career of sports photographer Joe Kerr. Joe, you you moved out of of uh, obviously shooting the All Blacks and all that at the time, a lot of co corporate work, but you're also getting back involved or involved with the Women's Rugby World Cup and and putting some really special projects together for that. What sort of stuff are you and Georgie working on for that tournament? Yes, it's brilliant having the World Cup here in October this year. Um, it's fantastic to have it in the Southern Hemisphere and have it in New Zealand. It's just amazing. Um, so we're um, involved with the Rugby World Cup Trophy Tour. Um, we're creating a, a video for them at the moment. Um, so they're about to travel around. It's been six months traveling around at least 30 cities around New Zealand, including I think they're going to Stewart Island and Chatham Island, um, putting on events for kids to come and get involved, um, see the trophy which is obviously pretty special and and have a run around um uh have a few games etc so we're doing a promo video um trying to make it a bit kiwi which is nice um often mm -hmm. the material that comes out of world rugby um probably isn't very aligned with new zealand and um our lifestyle so we are focusing on a, a young girl bella um who is biking uh, doing a tiki tour 
with the trophy um, around Auckland. So just showcasing a few uh, parts of Auckland um, and also incorporating a bit of Kiwi. And uh, as we go, you know, we're going past a group of girls doing TikTok, a um, skate scene where they go through, she goes through a skate park, um, a group of kids playing rugby at the local park, along the pink path, that sort of thing, before she ends up at Eden Park. So it's just a, a really sort of simple, fun little video um, to highlight what how what the feeling of the Rugby World Cup is going to be here in New Zealand, how much fun it's going to be, um, and how we want you know everyone to come along and feel that they can get involved with it as well. Mm. Yeah, obviously, um, with with Georgie having played the game and, and captain England, you probably had quite a unique view and the contrast between the women's game and the men's game, the kind of the haves and the have-nots over the years. <laughs> we sure have. Georgie's... Um, background I think is pretty um, unique actually because she was involved in the very first Rugby World Cup um, before it was sanctioned by the World Rugby um, which was I think it was what 91 in um, Cardiff and she actually played for Wales um, and then she transferred across to England, uh, she moved to London and um, was involved in the winning team, um, English team who won the 94 World Cup um, and then I think it was 98 at Barcelona, they came third um, and then she was captain of the team that came runner-up to the Black Ferns um, in Barcelona. Sorry, the previous one was Amsterdam. Barcelona mm. um, in 2002. So she's got a really unique uh, connection, obviously, with the tournament. Um, it's something that's really special, which the New Zealand part of the Rugby World Cup team have done, um, is they have gone back and retrospectively corrected the trophy. Um, the trophy only ever had on the dates from 1998 when the World Rugby sanctioned the tournament um, and they have gone back and put on 1991 and 1994 um, and uh, acknowledged that America and then England won those tournaments. So that's a pretty huge moment, I think. Um, a really cool for Georgie, who was obviously part of both of those and, and obviously won one. Um, and really huge um, of World Rugby to acknowledge it, well, to correct, correct this. Um, and Danika Charlton is a fantastic lady who's working for World Rugby here in New Zealand um, by the Rugby World Cup group and uh, has made this happen. So I'm very proud um, to have seen this, this happen before this World Cup. Yeah, I, I, we were talking earlier, you know, when you, you get to a point where the pace of change can't come quick enough anymore. It's um, yep. It's been a lot of, of baby steps uh, across the board. Where, having been in, you know, Barcelona back and seen all of that then, where do you see how the women's game is at now? Some things are fantastic. I mean, I um, worked with a group of um, black ferns the other week, um, doing the new commercial shoot for them with their new sponsors. And you had the All Blacks there and the Black Ferns there at the same time. They were treated just the same. You know, um, sort of the NZR were asking me to spend just as much time on the Black Ferns as they were on the, on the All Blacks. And that was that's fantastic. And I thought back, you know, sort of going back 25 years when I photographed the Black Ferns and I did the shots in a, I think it was a hotel room, you know, <laughs> a dark yeah. dingy at the um, Panamu over on the North Shore. And it was just, it was pretty rough and ready. Um, so it was neat to see how far it's come on one hand. And then I'm frustrated at the rate of change on the other hand. Um, when I look back at the early days with the All Blacks and how unprofessional they behaved, and yet they were being paid. And back in the old days, the Black Ferns were the, the most professional setup I had seen under Daryl Sewer. So a sewer with um, Anna Richards, Farah mm. Palmer, Rochelle, Rochelle Martin. These women were 
amazing athletes, so dedicated. And professionalism is more than just being paid, right? It's mm -hmm. how you act, what you bring to the table is really important. Um, and yet the NZIU were investing all the money in the men and they made them professional and have allowed them to get to this point now where they are very professional, but we need them to do the same with the women. We need them to be investing the same amounts with the women so that in 25, 30 years time, they can be playing the same as the men, you know, and at the same level as the men. Um, and then it's an even playing field. So change yeah. for me, change can't come fast enough. I don't want any more little steps. Um, let's just get on and bite the bullet and do it. Yeah. Are you starting to see, you work obviously with a lot of corporates and commercial, starting to see more interest from, from their side and not just probably with rugby, but with, with female athletes in general, more wanting to have women front and centre in their campaigns? I am, but I'm worried, Ricky, about how much of it is genuine, how much right. lasts longer than the Women's Day post, you know, like as Women's International Day, <laughs> let's flash up a picture. Um, or it's the Olympics. Hey, we've got 50% male, 50% female athletes that we sponsor at this event, and then post-event drop half the females. You know, it's it's got to be authentic. It's got to be real, um, and it's got to be long-lasting. So, I mean, some of the sponsors, to be fair to them, I sat many, many nights. Um, you know, I, I, so I'm, I'll just name them, with Steve Chu and with some of the All Black sponsors. This is going back many moons, and I'd be saying, come on, we've got to back women's rugby, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And he would shake his head, no, nah, we're not interested. And the sponsors were sort of saying, well, I'm interested, we want to do this. So mm. it comes from the top, and um, it wasn't until women's rugby um, became part of the Olympics, and they invested yeah. all that money into the sevens, and wow, look at the result. We've got A, extremely professional athletes, B, we have a fantastic result, and See, everyone loved them, you know, mm. and they were great role models. I think they were, you know, how they didn't win Team of the Year, I'm not quite sure, because I thought they were incredible role models. Um, so, yes, for me, I just really want to see more sponsors on board um, and more assistance from the NZRU, um, I think, sorry, NZR. <laughs> I think um, the more we all get involved, um, the better. Mm, for sure. I'm a hellberg judge, so I'm not gonna. I can't. I can't say anything. Um, <laughs> you know, I love the black men. No, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't want to be a judge. <laughs> oh no. Um, so going in, going to the to the World Cup in this build-up, we've obviously got this wonderful project um, about to come out. What other stuff are you guys working on to kind of hype and and do your bit for for this Rugby World Cup starting in October? Yeah, well, it's a, a pretty. It's been an interesting time period, hasn't it, with um, with lockdowns and COVID, et cetera, et cetera. And we were in lockdown last year, and um, we heard about the passing of Kathy Flores, um, who was the co-captain of the first um, US team who won the World Cup back in '91, um, and she had passed away. And all these stories were being passed around the world from um, former rugby players, and they were amazing stories. And Georgie and I looked at each other, and I said, "Look, I really don't want this history of women's rugby to be lost." you know, as it gets, um, comes under the umbrella of World Rugby Unions. Let's not forget where it's come from because it's really special. Um, so we sort of started talking about different things, um, how the first Rugby World Cup was actually funded by four women in, her, in the, uh, the UK who mortgaged their homes to, to fund the first World Cup. Um, the Russian girls who sold vodka on the streets in Cardiff to fund their trip. Um, and, you know, Jill Burns, a legendary player who had to walk under a sign at her club that said, no dogs are woman permitted. You know, stuff like that. That's not that long ago. And it's really important 
that the, the girls playing the game today and the ladies playing the game today appreciate the history and what people have gone through to get it's the global wonderful event that it is now well, that is like a perfect note to end on, and I cannot wait to see that series um, and see all, all the people who have been involved. Joe, what a fascinating um, chat, and we could go on for a very long time <laughs> on all sorts of other things, so we'll have to save it for another day. Joe Kidd, thank you so much for being on Trailblazers. Thank you. It's been fantastic, Ricky. <laughs>